chapter 6. Much of the, um, the tone, I guess, of the service this morning, there has been, um, there's lament or an acknowledgement of suffering, and um, hopefully most of you all have gotten the word, and we're thankful that our brother Don Reed is here with us this morning, but he lost his wife Norma this week. Uh, thankful that he and his family um, are here talked to uh, one of the brothers before the service began and um, just his heart was that when one of the members suffers the rest of the body suffers along with it and uh, and so we want to be here for our brother and strengthen him and point him to the one who is our strength and our hope in times of trouble and that's the Lord Jesus Christ a funeral will be held here next Saturday August 13th uh, at 2 p.m. Um, all of you all are invited to that uh, to come and remember the life of Norma Reed. And so, so Brother Don, um, just want to pray for him uh, before we get to the preaching portion of Scripture. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather um, under your strength, under your watchful eye, amongst your people, the body of Christ coming together like this, there is strength there. Where we're called to bear one another's burdens. We're called to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And we suffer with our brother Don, and just ask God for your hand to be firmly on him and all his family. This week will be a difficult week for them. And we pray, Lord, that you would uphold them. And so, Lord, please show yourself powerful, and may they, Lord, look unto Jesus, who is their everything. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we have a prayer gathering at 6.30 uh, for those who are able to come, and uh, we will be calling on the name of the Lord with one another. We also have a men's breakfast next Saturday. Food begins at 8, uh, 8 in the morning. There will be a devotion and just time together as brothers in Christ to strengthen one another. That's 8 o'clock next Saturday. All right. Daniel chapter 6. This will be the last message that we have together in Daniel. Um, I hope that it has been an encouragement to you to be strong in a day, in an age, in a generation uh, that opposes the things of God. And so Daniel and his friends found strength in the Lord in Babylon. And we find ourselves also in a kind of Babylon where we live today. And so let me pray as we begin our time in God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. We find strength in it. We find hope. We find truth. So Lord, please speak. Point, us, point our hearts in the right direction. Ground us where there is solid ground and not sand. And so, Lord, be with us during this time. Be with me uh, as I speak. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If we were to ask the group of children who just left the room, which story in the Bible is their favorite? 
And maybe we should ask the youngest of the children who left. I, I do believe that there would be three stories that would rise to the top. That would be Noah and his ark. That would be David and Goliath. And then there would be Daniel and the lion's den. I think there are a lot of other stories that would make honorable mention, but I'm sure that those would come up. And something has always surprised me a bit about each of those, and is that all of them include some sort of judgment and great death. These stories that children have gone to sleep at night thinking on. Think about Noah and the animals loading up on the boat. As if that story is about a traveling zoo. Everybody on earth died except for eight people. It's a story about God giving grace to some sinners and his rightful judgment on everyone else. It is a picture of salvation by grace in Jesus Christ and the judgment that is to come. David and Goliath. Like everybody loves the story about the underdog, right? This, this is a story that's well referenced in culture, David and Goliath. We always like to see the underdog getting the best of the bragging giant. But this is surely a story that depicts Jesus to us. All of the people of God, where are they at? They are over there on one side, cowering in fear as the giant taunts them, much like the devil. Nobody has the ability to best him, but one steps forward, and he sinks the stone into the monster's forehead. And then David runs forward, and he takes the giant's sword out of his sheath and cuts off Goliath's head and carries it back, bloodied and dripping, to Jerusalem. I don't think that part is usually told in the children's stories. And then the one that's in front of us today. Daniel is thrown into the den of lions. And I suppose there is something with the animals that makes it attractive to children, much like the story of Noah. They imagine Daniel in a big cat petting zoo with lions purring all around him. But the whole story is something much more startling than that. An innocent old man is thrown to his death by scheming and jealous men. And then after Daniel comes out of the pit, the schemers, their wives, and their children are all thrown in, and we are told they are broken to pieces before they ever hit the bottom of the den. I think that last part is probably often left out of those stories too. But the lesson for us is an important one. God saves the righteous and God judges the wicked. And the question for us is to understand who are the righteous only in Christ. Let's look at the details of the story and then see what we can learn from it. We begin in chapter 6 with yet another king. We saw there was a new king introduced last week. His name was Belshazzar. This week we've got a man named Darius. 
And so Daniel has now lived long enough to see the rule of three different kings. And we're told that Darius has subdivided his kingdom into 120 regions and that there are three men who are placed over the 120. And Daniel is one of those men. And we see how Darius thought of Daniel there in verse 3. He says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And so once again, Daniel distinguishes himself as having an excellent spirit. He's faithful. He was better than the rest because of his character. Daniel was known for seeking the good of the king. He was known for seeking the good of the people in the land. He was not just out for himself. And that became obvious to the king. But when Darius decided to make Daniel his prime minister, to put him first over all the rest in the land, what happens? The other men get jealous. They become angry about Daniel. And so they started to look around for problems in his dealings. They started sniffing around the books, wanting to see if Daniel had fudged any of the numbers. Maybe he had taken some bribes from some people. Maybe there's some bad accounting or some shady dealing out there, but guess what? They found nothing on Daniel. So they decided that they were going to have to use Daniel's devotion to God against him. If there's nothing else to find out about the man, we do know that he is faithful to the Lord. So let's figure out some way to use that against him. It's clear that these men were students of human nature. And it's not just because they were searching for flaws in Daniel. It is because they did find flaws in King Darius. There was something in the king's character that opened the door for their scheme. And like most men who are in powerful positions, this king here was prideful. And he enjoyed when other people would puff him up. He could be manipulated by those who were willing to stroke his ego. They could mold him and shape him and influence him if they just said the right words to him, making him feel good about himself. And so they came to the king and told him that they would like to make a law that no man in the land can make a petition to any other god or man for 30 days except to you, O king. They can't pray to anybody. They can't go to any other god without first running it through you. You're going to be first. You're going to have their first devotion. And whoever does this without your permission will be thrown into the den of lions. And so these men had studied Daniel, and they knew that he would not yield in matters of worship. There was no fault or crack in his character. They knew that he would not yield, though, in his manner of worship to his God. And they had also studied the king. And they knew that he would readily agree to give himself this kind of power. They had come up with the perfect plan, and they had to be patting themselves on their backs. And in case we might find it strange that a king would agree to something like this, and I don't just mean to make himself stronger, because most kings are going to agree to make themselves stronger. But agree to something like this about worship. 
that all prayer must go through him. You need to remember that King Darius is new to the throne in Babylon. And whenever there is a new leader, it is important for him to ensure that all allegiance goes to him. He does not want any plotting underneath him that might subvert his authority and maybe even remove him from his throne. He can't let opposition grow. And so this is not such a far-out suggestion that these men make. It's not just simply a matter of worship in a place where there are many gods. It is a matter of devotion. And this is a chance for Darius to solidify his power, to make sure that everybody runs things through him, to show that he is in charge. But Darius does not think of the consequences. There's another element in this story. The wicked rulers here were also students of the law. And the law of the Medes and the Persians, once it is established, could not be revoked. That's mentioned here. They understand that. The king was not able to just willy-nilly change his mind. He can't just change the law after it's been made. Persian law was set up to prevent that, and these plotters knew it. And all they had to do was get the king to sign this piece of paper, paper, and Daniel would be as good as dead. If you want to see another place where this comes up, you could turn into the pages of Esther. And so the wicked Haman comes up with a plot to have all the Jews exterminated from the land, and so they make a law that that would be the case, that on a particular day, months down the road, there's going to be a war party that goes out and exterminates the Jews. Well, they couldn't change that law. And so what did they decide to do instead after they wanted to foil that plan? They determined that swords would be put into the hands of all the Jewish people, and they now could fight back, and God was on their side. And when that took place, the Jews went out and fought against their aggressors and killed them all. So this is another place where this law or this type of law comes into play in the biblical storyline. But here, all of these conversations that are taking place between the plotters and the king somehow take place without the involvement of Daniel. You know, the most trusted man, you would think the king would have wanted him there, but somehow they've duped him. Daniel's not present. The law gets signed, and he hears about it. Well, what does Daniel do? What's his first recourse? Does he go to the king and plead his case? No, we see there in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. When Daniel heard the news that this was going to cost him his life, he did not hide himself. He did not change his habits. He went into his upper chamber where his windows were always open, as they always were, prayed on his knees three times a day. He did the same again. He brought his petition to the Lord. He cast all of his troubles on the Lord. And these wicked plotters, they knew that Daniel would do this because he was a righteous man. He was a worshipful man. He was a devoted man. And they go to his house by agreement, we're told. 
They talk all this over. Let's get to Daniel's house because we know where he's going to be at such and such a time. And they find him, as expected, on his knees, crying out to God. And you have to imagine the glee that they had when they found him there. He's done for. We're so smart, they go right to the king to tell him their happy news. But guess who isn't happy? The king's not happy. He realizes what has happened, that these men have plotted against him. They've used his flaws and his sins against him. And he's been caught in their trap. Verse 14 tells us that he did everything he could to try and save Daniel, but there was nothing to be done. He couldn't change it. He couldn't rescue him. He was bound by law to follow through with this punishment, and these government officials were surely there to remind him of it. Oh no, king, you can't change this. Oh, we're sorry about Daniel, but you signed it into law. You know what has to happen. And sure enough, this old man, about 80 years of age by now, blameless in all of his dealings, not yielding to the law of man about his worship, was cast into the dark pit with lions. A stone was rolled over the mouth, and the king sealed it up with his signet ring. But just before the doors were closed on the pit, the king yells into Daniel there in verse 16. He says, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. He knows Daniel's God is his only hope. And the king can do nothing but wait. That night we're told that he couldn't eat. That sleep fled from him. His people brought entertainments to him to try to cheer him up or to distract him, but he wouldn't have any of it. He could only think about Daniel. And at first light, he runs to the door of the pit or to the rock, and he wants to find out the fate of this man. Look with me there in verse 19. I'll read through verse 23. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And so just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, we are told here that God delivered 
the righteous Daniel. He sent his angel who stopped the lion's mouths, would not allow them to eat this man because, we're told, he had trusted in his God. We don't see any complaint from Daniel in all of this. We're not told of any fear. We simply see him cast upon the Lord for help in a time of need. That is his first recourse. The Lord is where he goes. His heart is not distracted with all the other things that he needs to do before he goes to the Lord, like you might find in your life and I often find in my life. He takes his needs to the only one who can help him. And make no mistake about it, the choice that Daniel made here to go and pray to the Lord as he usually did was an active decision that he was making that made it clear that he would rather lose his life than cease the worship of God. Death was not the worst thing that could happen to Daniel. What's he telling us? He's telling us that dishonoring the Lord is the worst thing that could happen to him. And he would gladly lose his life instead. I do think that we would do well to ask ourselves if the same could be said of us. Daniel could have reasoned to himself here, you know, it's only 30 days. It's only 30 days. God will understand if I don't pray to him and if I don't worship him. But he didn't. He went straight to God, who was his hope, who was his life, he was his heart, he was his faith. He was his everything. The natural recourse for Daniel was to take all of this to the Lord. It would be strange, it seems, for the people of God to do anything differently. Are our lives more important to us than the joyful duty to worship the Lord, to pray to Him, to show Him to be our first and greatest devotion? When the king hears Daniel's voice, he knows how the God of Daniel, it had to be the God of Daniel who saved him. There's no other explanation here, and Daniel affirms that. He says, the angel was sent by my God to stop the lion's mouths. And in all of this, when this takes place, the king must know in this moment, because the lions have not eaten Daniel, because his God has saved him, that Daniel must be a blameless man. This is proof to him that Daniel has done no wrong. And the king has fulfilled the law of the Medes and the Persians. He has thrown Daniel into the pit, but he has not died. So let's get Daniel out of there. So he pulls him up out of the pit. And then he turns to those scheming men, and he gave them their turn with the lions. Let's see what happens with them. Verse 24, And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, 
The lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And so there may be some people out there that would say, you know what, maybe when Daniel was thrown in, the lions just weren't hungry. They just didn't want to eat. This was no miracle. They'd already been fed. They'd had their fill. Daniel just kept one eye open all night to ensure that they weren't after him. Well, this makes it clear that that is not the case. So as soon as these men are tossed into the pit, they are broken into pieces, and they are consumed immediately. Those were hungry lions, and God had stopped their mouths. And this is a picture of the judgment of God on the unrighteous. And what is the end result of all of this? Amazingly, just like we've seen in a couple other chapters, that a pagan king gives worship to the one true God. He says, For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. He worships the Lord. And there are some wonderful truths for us here in this story, and I just want to give you two. One of them is a bit more personal, and if we were talking about the forest and the trees, one will focus on the individual trees, kind of small picture, and the other will focus on the forest, a little bit more broad. So we'll start with the more personal. Future godliness begins today. Future godliness begins today. I have a desire in my heart to be an old man. And I don't just mean in days. Because if I just live long enough, I'm going to be an old man, right? It just happens over time. That's not what I mean, though. What I want to be is a godly old man. I've seen it. I've known godly old men. And there are certain qualities that they have that I want God to shape and mold in me. They're gentle. They have a word fitly spoken. They have learned when to speak and not speak. There's a desire to help others. There's a generosity that's in them. And I, I've seen the way that younger men look to them. They know that what they're going to get is wisdom. They know that what they're going to get is the truth. And so I want to grow to be a godly old man. And what I understand about that as I look here at the picture of Daniel is that godliness did not just happen overnight. So Daniel didn't decide one day, I'd like to be a godly old man too. And here at 80 years of age, he just wakes up and he's godly. All of a sudden, he's doing all the mature things that a godly man does. and He's got all sorts of wisdom at his disposal. He's worshiping God that's what, he's, that's what he's doing in a disciplined way. No, this didn't just happen overnight. Daniel started preparing to be a godly old man when he was young. 
And so I tell you today that future godliness for you begins today. Do you want to be a godly old man? A godly old woman? Have you become a godly old man or a godly old woman? It happened sometime before now. You didn't just wake up that way. It happened by having godly habits, godly disciplines. And so as we look here at Daniel, we have to be impressed with his faithfulness here. He's unyielding in his convictions. He's determined to die rather than dishonor his God. Wouldn't you like to think that when the moment comes, when the moment of trouble comes into your life, that you too would stand firm for Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you like to think that in that moment your integrity would hold up, that you would not go groveling before anyone, you would simply take it to the Lord? Wouldn't you like to think that? So as I said, Daniel's godliness, it was formed in his youth. It did not just appear like an instinct when he got old. It had been shaped by many, many years of faithfulness that had preceded this particular moment. And did you notice what we were told about Daniel's habits in verse 10? It's important. He says that he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This is what he always did. So this is naturally what he did when the moment arrived where his life was hanging in the balance. Daniel had been learning the faithfulness of God and the grace of God through disciplined worship over many years, long, long before he had ever faced the lion's den. So I ask you this morning, do you want to stand firm in the day of trouble. Amen, brother. Me too. And you know where that starts. It starts now. It's not put off. It's not just thought about. It's not just planned in our minds. Maybe I'll start that tomorrow. No, godliness begins today. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We are guaranteed now. So do you want to be a godly man? Do you want to have godly integrity? So when difficulty comes to your door, because it will come knocking at some point, and you don't want to fold up like a deck of cards, that's the example that Daniel sets for us. He was strong in the day of trouble because he was strong in all the days previous to the days of trouble, to take everything to the Lord, both great and small. He had found who his God was over all of these years. So I don't simply commend Daniel to you. I commend your God to you. That he is good to bring all of your problems, big or small, today and begin forming those habits. Paul would tell Timothy when he wrote to him that, you know, physical activity, going to the gym, we all understand that, don't we? That if you want muscles, you want physical endurance, there's benefit to that. It helps you in this life, but godliness helps you not just in this life, but in the life to come. 
So begin exercising godliness today. That's what he's telling him. And so brothers and sisters, let's look to Daniel and see that when the lion's den came to him, ah, oh, he was prepared because he knew his God and he would not yield. Never. And I hope that when the day comes for you, whenever that is, that that will be the story told about your life. Future godliness begins today. Secondly, broader picture, Satan's schemes to create chaos and death will only result in the worship of God. Amen and amen. There is nothing like the sovereignty of God to be a rock under your feet. Even in the war that is being waged by the wicked one against God's people. This is a beautiful truth. And so in short, God always turns Satan's schemes on his own head. Always. In the end, ultimately, it will always be that way. What he looks to destroy he always ends up building up in the people of God under his sovereign plan. This is a subplot throughout the entire Bible. Satan schemed on Adam and Eve, and their fall was great. And we still feel the effects of their fall, do we not? But the sin of man, through the sin of man, God would bring greater glory to himself as he gives grace to sinners through Jesus Christ. There's greater glory given to God through the sin of man as he gives grace to us through Jesus Christ than had he not, than had Satan never tempted our first parents to fall. That is the story of the entire Bible in one sentence. Genesis to Revelation. Satan schemed on Job robbed him of his family and his health and his friends. But the result was that Job beheld the bigness of God and worshipped him in a way that he never would have been able to previously. Satan schemed through wicked men to betray righteous Daniel right here, to bring about his death. But it was God's plan to deliver Daniel from death and bring judgment on his enemies. Satan was underneath all of this. Satan schemed through Judas to betray Jesus into the hands of wicked men too. To bring about the death of the Son of God. But it was God's plan to use Satan's schemes that put Jesus to death. For men like us to be saved. He turned it on his own head, resulting in our worship of God today. That was through the plots of the wicked one. But under the guidance of the sovereign hand of God to bring worship to himself and conquer that wicked one. And in the plan of God, we saw that it was, or we'll see in the pages of Scripture, if you just look a little bit forward, that it is Satan and his followers who get thrown into the pit. And so God turns Satan's schemes 
onto his own head. All to the praise and the glory of God's grace. All for his worship. That is where everything is going. And we need to understand that right now, Satan is scheming. It's all he knows to do. He deceives, he lies, he seeks to destroy. He's been a murderer from the beginning. So in your life, if you are in Christ, he is watching and he is plotting and he is seeking to destroy. He is a student of human nature, just like these men in the story were. They were watching Daniel, paying attention, trying to look for his flaws. They were watching the king. They're studying them to create chaos and death. This is what Satan does. And so maybe right now in your life, things are calm. And you're thinking to yourself, Preacher, you don't know what you're really talking about. All is well with me. Well, that's part of his plotting. It doesn't mean that he's always bringing about chaos in your life. He waits to the right time as he watches you to bring chaos into your life, which will surely bring your demise. But in the plan of God, it will surely, as he holds you up in the day of trouble, it will surely bring about God's worship. God will make certain of that in the end. So I ask you today, brothers and sisters, to understand that there is a wicked one who is out there. I do not know all of his activities. Paul does teach that we need to understand his schemes. He's a scheming devil. And he is out there looking to devour those, like these lions, who aren't paying attention. But we need to praise our God today for the truth that He will hold us up in the end. He will preserve us, and He will bring about His worship when we see that. Left to our own resources, what would happen? Everyone in this room would fall. We would fall on the floor of the pit being dashed to pieces if we were left to ourselves. But God says that he will stop the mouth of the lion. And he has at the cross of Jesus Christ. He has removed all of his accusations. He has re removed every bit of ammunition that he has against God's people. As Jesus took God's wrath in our place, Satan has nothing left to say. He has no teeth left to bite us with. God has ensured that. Jesus went into the pit for us. And then he was lifted out by the power of God. And we know that the end of the story is that Satan will be thrown into that bottomless pit to receive the wrath of God. While we enjoy the presence of God and his worship forever and ever. So I simply want to point you to your hope. Your hope is not what you see with your eyes in front of you. It's not your circumstances. It's not your resources. It is your God. And everything that is used against you in this life 
every difficulty, every trial, every suffering, we can have the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ has overcome for us. And as we look to Him, we are more than conquerors. And so fear not, little flock. You belong to the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And whatever Satan plots on you today will ultimately result in your worship and His judgment tomorrow. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give praise and thanks where it is due today. It is not in our strength. We might puff ourselves up a bit from time to time and think that we are stronger than the rest. We're more faithful than the rest. Our eyes can start looking at ourselves and what we have done when you want our eyes firmly planted onto Jesus and what he has done. Keep our eyes there today, Lord. And throughout this week, we need your strength, whether we know it or not. And you promise to hold us up by your power until you give us what Jesus has purchased for us. And it is eternal riches. He has earned it for us. And we give you praise that we can take part. It's all by grace. We praise you for your grace. And ask all this and praise you for all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.